Hey, it's Jay. Welcome back to Exceptions, the show about why B2B companies today are betting so heavily on brand. In a world of infinite noise and choice, brand is becoming the differentiating factor in B2B today. No longer can we afford to look at this like a dirty word, like it's just for consumer companies. Get out of here. No way. No more. Today, we go inside Zapier. Zapier is a fully remote team in 15 different countries, and they have a very special kind of product, which kind of exists in between other products. They help you integrate more apps than you realize exist so you can improve your workflow. So for instance, I could set up what they call a Zap, and that Zap says, when I publish a new blog post to my WordPress blog, automatically tweet the headline and the URL of that article. So they integrate a lot of apps you've heard of, Slack, Twitter, Gmail, Trello, MailChimp, just to name a few of the obvious ones. And then there's a lot that maybe you don't know or haven't used. Podio, Toggle, Freshdesk, Meistertask, Cognitoforms, Smartsheet, Aweber, Streak, Copper, and many, many more. Xavier's product essentially lets all these apps communicate so you don't have to get stuck completing the same tasks over and over and over again in rote fashion. The company tagline is... Zapier makes you happier, which is amazing. And they call their employees Zapians, which is eh, a little bit less so, but sure, it's still pretty good. I'd probably have gone with Homo Zapians, just, you know, just saying. Speaking of people, what underpins this company and their brand is the fact that they are customer centric. So naturally, we need to start with the voice of an actual customer. Uh, hi, my name is Jay Conzo, and I host podcasts, write books, and give speeches for a living. Yeah, so today, we're trying something different. I will be playing the role of customer, and we're going to do this in a little experiment. I thought of this very last minute, and I wanted to let you in on it. Today, I'm throwing myself into something I don't really love, automating some of my workflow with technology. See, I make stuff for a living. I make shows. A bunch of different shows every year, including my own and several podcasts and even a video documentary series for B2B clients. I make speeches. I give about 15 keynotes per year as a major source of my business. And I write books, blog posts, and newsletters. So I mostly identify as a creator. And given all that stuff and decades of making stuff, well, I get precious. I don't love the idea of another person taking away any of this stuff on my plate And I really don't love the idea of a tool automating that stuff because I've seen just how crude and awful the experience can be on the receiving end of automation. So I've sprinted in the opposite direction. Today, I stop sprinting and I collapse at the feet of Jesse Parker from Zapier. Jesse and I are going to do a kind of fix the workflow experiment with my podcast. Not this one, by the way, but my personal show called Unthinkable. I'm proud of the episodes, they're really highly produced stories, but the process to to get there is, well, if you could see like a time-lapse headshot of me going by over the years of making that show, you'd notice some very Doctor Strange-looking white streaks emerge on my temples. So that's why I wanted to talk to Jesse. The conversation turned into something else entirely, which actually taught me something harder yet incredibly important. How long have you been at Zapier? Um, I've been at Zapier for a little over five years now. So I was actually the eighth employee to join the company. Oh, wow. What's it like to <laughs> experience the growth you guys have 
been through. I feel like that's not, it's a rare opportunity to see that. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you know, I've worked at startups before, you know, usually things haven't gone well, but it's amazing to see um, all the right decisions that Zapier makes and how well we've been able to scale and yeah. like keep our culture intact. I think that's the thing I'm the most impressed with, you know, is a lot of other companies, once you start scaling, the focus quickly becomes off of the culture. And I think we do a really good job to yeah. to keep that at Zapier. Yeah. Um, what what, what but, kind of things do you guys do? Because it's a remote team, correct? Yes. Everybody works um, 100% remotely from home. Yeah. Um, so some of the things that we do um, to try to, you know, I guess, keep culture. I mean, we have, you know, all, all of our little inside Slack jokes and things like that. Sure. But um, we do hop on a weekly hangout, uh, which it's, we run through Zoom and everybody's on video. You can kind of see everybody get a chance to catch up. Um, we do uh, weekly pair calls. So we're randomly paired with another person in the company. We can just hop on a, you know, like a 30 minute call with them and, you know, just That's once a find week. out what's going on. Yeah. Once a week. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's it's hard to stay connected to everybody, so we try yeah. to be frequent because I mean, there's only how many weeks in a year, and how many employees um, at Zapier. So even if you're you're attending these calls once a week, there's still a lot of people that you don't even meet until yeah. I guess our next thing, which would be um, you know our two company retreats that we hold annually. Oh, so, that's awesome. Uh, that's another great way to just kind of you know get to know people and and break the ice and find out you know, the direction that the company is heading in and also give people the opportunity to talk about things that they want to talk about. You nice. know, not everything is like super business oriented there. Like we have a lot of um, employee run events uh, to kind of, you know, spread everybody else's culture and interests and things like that. That's awesome. So my wife is like really proud of her organized chaos. And to the point where like, I can't, we have a rule. If she asks me to get something from her bag, I just get her bag and give it to her <laughs> because she's so comfortable with that stuff. And I'm so not. And then I actually started talking to you about all these different things I do for the show. And I realized like I kind of have my own version of my wife's bag in terms of like my own workflow makes sense in my head. <laughs> and now that I'm starting to hire and grow the business, that obviously can't last. And mm -hmm. uh, things are starting to fall apart. And yeah, so I want to get better at like if I, if I can hand this bag, so to speak, to somebody else that's coming on board and they're not afraid to actually open it and they can find what they need. And I think that improves their sanity and mine as well. So yeah, so that's kind of like, I just realized that this morning heading out the door because she literally asked me like, can you get this in my bag? And I was like, here, here you go. Uh, yeah, so where, I don't even know where to begin, quite frankly. <laughs> I, I like your little bag analogy there. And I guess, you know, something that I would say back to that is, you know, you're probably, you know, you're not sure what to do with this bag, but I think it's important to understand, you know, why those items are in the bag and what, purpose they serve and then maybe you wouldn't be so afraid to you know go in the bag uh to again use your analogy okay so what's in my digital bag so to speak when i organize unthinkable what tools am i using well before talking to jesse they asked that i get them all in order so here it goes first there's trello if you don't know it, it's kind of like a digital whiteboard with sticky notes. You organize your work into lists, these vertical columns, like maybe a list called to-dos or a list called episode ideas. And then inside a list, you can create cards. These are kind of like the sticky notes you'd put up on the list. Like I might have a to-do called interview Jesse or a card under episode ideas called Zapier. Then there's all sorts of features inside of a card, like you can leave a comment full of notes and links, or upload an attached asset for a project, or even communicate with teammates directly through the card by at mentioning them. So that, that gives you a nice, neat idea of Trello. 
but the unthinkable Trello board was anything but nice and neat. It was an explosion of stuff. There were three different to-do lists, mine, my producer, Tally's, and my assistant, Meg's. There was a list of every client podcast or video series that I'm currently hosting or producing, so four of those in total. And by the way, if you're wondering, two of them aren't out yet, but uh, one of them is this, and the other one is unthinkable. There were lists for entire show ideas, just cards in a list of what cool concepts I want to pursue with a client someday. Then there's another list of brands I might want to work with as clients. And lastly, a list of evergreen resources so I can more easily onboard new hires or freelancers. So that's just Trello. Trello itself is a mess. But remember, my entire messy bag contains Trello and other apps. And those other apps include Zencaster to record my interviews, Dropbox to upload all the audio files, grouped by episode, Google Docs to write scripts, and probably a bunch more stuff, but I don't want to stress you out. And then crucially, one more thing. I used a Google spreadsheet, which Tally and I would look at as the editorial calendar. It was a mess in and of itself too, but it was supposed to be my single go-to source of information, the source of truth that we need to start with, the one document off of which Jesse, Parker, and I could build my Zapier workflow, aka my Zaps. So then I called up Jesse and it was time to get this messy digital bag of mine cleaned up. So these are like three things that I think help in making the zap process go by faster and that will help your you like i guess set up your zaps in the most optimal way and like the first thing is data organization so you've got to make sure that your data is organized if you have things you know all over the place and i think you know your sheet here is is great you know when when we first visited this sheet there were kind of little sections all over the place um and while you can automate you know some things when it's a little bit disorganized you're going to have a much easier time um, when things are laid out in a clear um, structure when you come across apps like google sheets where you have more granular control over the data that you're entering in there you know you really want to make sure that it's organized in a way that can be read by the zap by the Zap and the Homo Zappians behind it. Our editorial calendar was a list of dates, episode names, and owners, sure. But then there were all these other colored sections to describe, like, the types of episodes we might create to one side of the sheet, and off to the right, a list of random ideas for episodes, which really should have been in Trello, but somehow some of them were on this sheet for some reason, and oh boy, save me, Jesse Parker. You're my only hope. One of the second things I think is important uh, that's not required, but is really helpful is to segment your data into different stages. So, you know, think about when something is changing its state. So maybe that's, you know, marking a lead as a client, or, you know, in your case, you know, moving a card uh, to a specific list in Trello, you know, what are all of the things that need to be updated or created when that state change occurs? Um, and then, and I think the last you know, important prerequisite here is to think about, think now uh, about what's required later. So a really good thing to do is to write out your process on paper, you know, or on a flow, a flow chart tool, whatever you want, um, and think about all of the areas and the apps that it touches. And, you know, you've already thought about like the immediate actions that need to occur after, you know, you change the state of some of your data. But what a lot of people don't think about in the beginning is that all of the things that are happening later on uh, and what are those things and can any of them happen sooner? So, you know, maybe, 
you know, I guess you, you send an email later on in the process and, you know, the sending of that email might be associated with a different stage, but there's an action that you can take now, such as like creating a draft email as a placeholder. So this way, when the time comes, when you hit that stage and you're ready to send the email, there's less work that you actually need to do, uh, you know, to accomplish that task. So I just wanted to quickly like go over those things. That was awesome. Thank you. So, uh, so question is, so when you explain it to me, just now and also the first time we spoke it made logical sense it, it's almost like in my head i was like why wouldn't everybody try to do stuff like this mm-hmm. and i then recall myself before we spoke and i would always look at anything that had the word automation in it as an excuse to lower the quality uh because i came out of marketing and so in marketing a lot of marketing automation it becomes inhuman and inauthentic or people are trying to take what worked and like ratchet it up to 11 and so that sort of spams people and becomes mm-hmm. a volume thing. And the automation uh, enables um, work that I think is unwelcome uh, mm-hmm. or or internally uncreative because it's just like set it and forget it. But everything you've told me makes total sense. Like what, what do you think, just as someone who's clearly passionate about this stuff, like I'm just curious to hear your take on like, what do you think is wrong with that initial perception that I had? Well, I think that I think automation, like anything, can be used in a good and a bad way. Like you mentioned, you know, there's certainly a lot of automations that are set up to just be inhuman and spam people. And it's just like a one and done, like, okay, you're on my marketing list, so you're getting this and that's it. And I, and I think the reason why that happens is because people actually aren't paying enough attention to one of the prerequisites, prerequisites I was talking about, um, which is like segmenting your data. So, for example, if you... If you just have a a spreadsheet with names and email addresses, you could set up an automation to just email those people. And that would be considered kind of like spammy. Like, who are these people? I don't know anything about them. I don't know where they are in the process. You know, I clearly don't have the messaging right for, for what they need. But once you start organizing your data and you start segmenting it by different stages, you can understand the the individual segments of data and figure out and figure out how one stage is affecting the other. So for example, you know, um, again, in a pipeline, if you have a lead, uh, you know, and you're trying to get them to a client, like you wouldn't blast all the leads and clients with the same message. Like you would have particular messaging for where that person is in their I guess, in the timeline of their relationship with you. So, you know, if if you do this segmentation and this organization early on, automation is going to be used as an enhancement for your workflow because you're going to be able to better target your segmented data with the right message at the right time. At this point, it was time to set up my zaps. Prior to the call, I cleaned up my editorial calendar, making it very clear what it was for. Publish dates, episode titles, owner of the episode, and status of the episode, i.e. the progress we were making on it. So that's what I thought we'd use as the central source of truth. But then Jesse asked what should have been a simple question about that other tool, which was still a mess, my Trello board. Like show me like what you would do with a card when you decided it was worthy enough to be recorded in your Google sheet. Like, would you move it to another list? Would you add a label to it? Would you make a comment? What would you do? Yeah. So in Trello, I have my to do's, my teammates to do's. I have then a list. So those are all lists. And then I have lists for each individual show that Unthinkable Media works on and the most involved. I basically blathered on for a while before Jesse and I both realized, uh, okay, we need to clean up Trello. So 
Now, instead of a mess of multi-purpose lists, each one is actually about the episode's progress through time. As you move to the right in my Trello, the episodes move through the production process. So my second list is called Episode Ideas. When Tally and I agree to make an episode reality and we've managed to schedule the interviewee, we move the card to the right. It goes from episode idea to schedule to record. Then it's on to recorded, then scripting and editing, then it's ready slash launched. Finally, at long last, we have our single source of truth. Yeah, no, that's great. I think you've done a great job there. I, need, I, I really needed to hear that, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As for that pesky Google Sheet, which was kind of redundant to Trello. So I guess maybe I want to hear more about why you've decided to take it out of Trello and put it in the Google Sheet. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Because because reasons? No, uh, <laughs> but pretty much. Do you? By the way, do you often do this with tools outside of Zapier? Because like right now you're coaching me through a different tool. Is that part of the job? <laughs> uh, it's not part of the Zapier job, but this is what I like to do uh, for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, the first time we spoke, like you're not just a Zapier expert. You're a productivity savant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really like, I'm really passionate about, you know, operational integrity because a lot of people think, oh, Zapier automation, like I'm going to work better and faster immediately. And while you might be able to, you know, take some time off of your plate, I think like the, the real meat of things is in data integrity itself and making sure that things are structured properly. Because once, I mean, once this stuff is done and then you layer automation on top of that, I mean, you're pretty much unstoppable. Now that my single source of truth had been decided upon, Trello, I told Jesse what normally happens next in my workflow. I'd take an episode of Unthinkable from the ideas list and discuss it with Tally. So for example, this one here is the story of Sarah Cooper, a former product manager at Google who decided to quit her job and pursue her dream of becoming a comedian. She parodies the corporate world, and she went viral with the blog post, 10 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, which then led to a book deal and the larger version of that post, the book, 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings. And then she just wrote her second hilarious and very poignant book called How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings. And so I figured because she's promoting the book, now would be a great time to talk to her. And I proposed to Tally a few reasons why this could be interesting to the listener. And Tally and I kicked around that idea and we said, yes, let's reach out to her and see if she's game. And as soon as she said yes, I moved that card from the ideas list to the schedule to record list. Now, I still haven't opened up Zapier at all with Jesse because we finally have an example of good workflow. And now we can automate and scale that to save time. So that is actually what our trigger is. A trigger is the action you take manually that then sets off a chain reaction of automated workflow in Zapier. So if you scroll down now, okay. you should be able to save and continue. And it's going to just let you know, hey, we're going to use this account that you connected. So that's fine. You can click continue on that. And then we want to set up some options. So you want to choose the Trello board that we were just on. So you can click the drop down and it should pull all of your Trello boards. At this point, I can see where this is going. I select one app that I use as my source of truth. Okay, it's Trello. Then I select the trigger action that kicks off my workflow, card moves lists, from this list, click, to that list, click. And then once that happens, something else would unfold automatically in another app. And that's what I'm about to set up in Zapier. 
We then add the next step in the workflow, which is create a Google Doc file with the same name as the Trello card. Click, click, click. And then I tell it, add the Google Doc link that's been created back into the Trello card that was moved. Click, 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 click. And now here's another action in this recipe. Create a Dropbox folder with the same title as the Trello card for the episode files. Click, click. And add that link to the folder once created back in the original Trello card as well. Click, 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 click. And like magic, I've done one very simple thing and I created a cascade of productive actions. Brilliant. Okay. You are a master of the internet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> As marketers, when we try to scale anything, our workflow, our team, our entire brand, Jesse just gets how to do it right. Scaling without breaking. Across this series, we've explored some seriously fast-growing scaling companies. Gusto is worth over a billion dollars today. Envision has raised over $350 million in VC funding and has a staff of more than 700 employees, which might be the largest fully remote team in the world. Zoom is one of the fastest growing tech companies, period, and they're about to go public with over $330 million in revenue and even about $8 million in profit. So rare for a tech company going public. By the way, Zoom's year-on-year revenue growth, speaking of scaling, was 118%. So yeah, this business world is obsessed with growth, but you can't forget your roots. Growing too big, too fast, too soon can topple you over just as quickly as you shot upward. So how can you scale without breaking? Well, there's a number of things and a lot of tactics, but I think if you really distilled it down to a kernel of truth, it's that you need a strong foundation. To me, that means alignment, an aligned team aligned around the customer, the mission, the problems the company solves for that customer, putting them at the center of it all. You need alignment. You need one firm foundation. Everybody understands. When Jesse and I first spoke about my workflow, I thought it was about taking all the progress I'd made in building Unthinkable as a podcast and accelerating what I can do with it. I've been running that show for three years. It's going well. People like it. And I love making it. So I thought scaling it would mean enabling me to do more with less. I mean, isn't that what the executives always bark about when they talk about scale? Isn't that what some entrepreneurs chest beat about when they talk about rapid growth? It's about hustle, working harder, going faster, doing more, and if you don't have growth tattooed across your forehead, well, get out. But that's never been me. It's never been who I am. I love the small business, the craft-driven work of an artisan. Strong businesses, which yes, can grow, but more importantly, they can grow however they want. And why? Because they have a strong foundation. If they grow fast or slow or somewhere in the middle, they won't break. And that's where Jesse started me in that live audit. What is my single source of truth? How can I clean up my current workflow to enable me to grow the show? So want to scale without breaking? First, make sure that you're building on something sturdy. A strong brand is that foundation. Few people understand this better than Zapier's CEO and co-founder, Wade. Hey folks, I'm Wade Foster. I'm co-founder CEO at Zapier. So how did this company start? Just, I'd, I'd love to know, like, if you, 
and the earliest possible team members or co-founders have drinks someday way down the road mm -hmm. and you're reminiscing, what story is coming out from those early days when you were like very small, no one knew you and you're like, oh my gosh, remember that? Let's see. So Brian and I, I have three co-founders. Well, two, I guess. Brian, Mike, and myself are the co-founders at Zapier. And I, I'd known Brian for a long time. We've done a fair amount of freelancing together. And we built some like one-off integrations uh, for a, a couple clients. And one day, Brian uh, messaged me over iChat and said, suggested basically the, the core concept of Zapier. Um, you know, we're going to help people connect these tools that they were using. You can have, you know, things like MailChimp, uh, Basecamp, Zendesk were starting to come into their own around 2011. And people needed integrations to make them work better together. And so Brian was like, we can build a hub and spoke for all that. Um, I remember thinking that was such a great idea. I was using the Marketo API at work and just struggling. I'm not a great engineer. And so to have a tool that could help me do that better, faster, easier, like saved me a ton of time and headache. So we ended up going to, it turned out not too long after that, there was a startup weekend um, in Columbia, Missouri uh, happening. And so uh, Brian and I went to that, we teamed up with Mike and over that weekend, we built, you know, in 54 hours, the first prototype of Zapier. And then we ended up working, you know, shoot for the first five months, it was like nights and weekends. Like we would, you know, go to our day jobs and then we'd work from, you know, 6, 6 PM to like 1 AM you know, every night trying to get the first version of this thing out and ready. As you start to scale, I think, you know, from the cheap seats where I sit, I can, you know, understand the product and think, okay, to grow, one way to grow the product is you just start adding more integrations, right? And like, that's kind of not an infinite game, but it kind of feels like it's just it's sort of a volume play. It's like, mm -hmm. in, in some other company, it might be like, you know, you sell marketing software, and it's sort of like add more capabilities and feature, just bloat the product. Mm -hmm. um, what else changed about the product as you guys grew? Because I, I imagine it was well beyond just the different technologies and companies that you integrate with. Yeah. Uh, adding new applications was a huge part of what we needed to do. You think about what Zapier provides. If we don't support an app you use, you don't use Zapier. Like simple as that. So like having the applications and the right triggers and actions for the tools that you use was critical. Um, a big part of that was launching our developer platform. So, you know, Brian, Mike, and I built the first 50 integrations ourselves. And about that time, we started hearing from other companies asking, hey, why isn't, you know, our product on Zapier? And the reality was like, well, we're just three people. We're doing it as fast as we can. So we kind of felt like if we open it up a little bit, give them the option to you know, devote engineers to building these on their own, that might help us go faster. And turned out that was true. So we opened this developer platform and now we have tons of people building on it externally, you know, companies like HubSpot and Box and, um, you know, Slack, like all these companies start building their integrations on Zapier. And that opens our time now to think about, okay, what is what needs to be better with this product? And there was two things that we really spent our time on. One was, how do we just make it easier to set these things up? Like, this is sort of a new concept to a lot of folks. We just need to make the software easier to use at its core. So we spent a lot of time on just the design, the user experience, all that sort of thing. And then the second piece was, where are there like really critical feature gaps? And I remember 
one of the things like from day one, we had people saying, you know, it's great that, you know, I can do a single action with Zapier, but I really need to do multiple actions. And like, there's other things I need to do out of this. And we didn't support that. And so, you know, it took us a while to, to actually launch this. It took us all the way to 2016 because we cared so much about making that easy to use um, and making it really simple for folks that, um, you know, it took us five years to get to that. And um, when we launched multi-step zaps, uh, that was a big deal because like we saw just tons more adoption because it was clear that folks really wanted to build more sophisticated workflows. Um, But they didn't want the product to be more sophisticated. They just wanted to be able to, you know, do more things, but still be easy to use. So that was like a huge selling point for us at that point in time, because it made us really stand out um, in terms of the capabilities we have. Why Zapier is like really, truly better than other products or why it's better than native integrations or things like that is we just had this level of depth that nobody else could really, you know, match. When building, well, anything, you have to start with that clear foundation and always revisit everything through that lens. Take this show, for example. There's a few foundations in place. For one, we start by telling the stories of people who are exceptions in their industries. And we do this by conducting interviews and then slicing those interviews into four or five discrete blocks every episode. Then there's the bigger theme we're exploring about the importance of brand in B2B that we tie to every interview. All those details together create a certain lens, a foundation that we can use to grow the show however we want and stay aligned while we do so. For Zapier users, having clean data or one source of truth in your workflow enables all other Zaps to function properly. Otherwise, the whole system breaks. For Zapier's brand, it's similar to this show and their product. Having a strong foundation, one that's both overt and constantly revisited, communicated, discussed, and shepherded by leadership, that enables a brand to scale without breaking. The best companies are built around things that, are, that stay the same. Amazon, they know that people always want low prices. So that's a core tenet of a thing that they're going to do. At Zapier, we know people always want to be more productive at work. They always want more time back. Um, They always want things to be software to be easier for them to use. They want it to do more work for them. And so I think sort of keeping those core tenets in mind helps you keep it straight. So if you're ever like, oh, you know, we could do any one of these dozen projects, like, could help us out. You kind of go back to some of those core tenets and you think, all right, what is really going to help us get there? And you sort of keep that as your 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 guiding light. And if you have those things, if you kind of work to s- translate those into a set of, you know, strategic objectives or OKRs or whatever your company does to kind of help stay organized, it makes it easier. Um, it's not easy, but it, you know, these this type of work to sort of like translate your core tenants into a strategy, a set of objectives, a set of tasks, it helps. How many times have you tried to run too long and too fast with an idea? Whether you're creating a business or a one-off project, we encounter this problem way too easily. We start with a concept, you know, why we want to create the thing, the problem we're going to solve, and then we start to put it in motion. And slowly it starts to work. It starts to roll downhill and it starts to gain momentum and traction. But as it continues to go faster and faster, it kind of takes on a life of its own. And if we don't have certain guardrails set up ahead of time, well, it can careen way off the path and and crash. 
Without those guardrails, you're really not going to make progress in the right direction. You can get totally out of control, even if you're going faster and faster. Of course, having those guardrails isn't a cure for hiccups and hurdles and slight tangents. Those are inevitable to encounter along the way. You know, like an example um, we had was we had tried to make like zap sharing a thing. I mean, heck, we're still trying to make zap sharing a better thing. And the reason we felt it was good was because we found that when people had templates, zap templates, like, you know, uh, pre-configured for them, the activation rate was better. So it's like, okay, this is great. Like, how can we make as many templates as possible that spans all these different types of use cases that people might want to do? So we tried doing it with like sort of just let the community do it. But the community tended to... Um, you know, like if you've worked in community long enough, you know that, you know, 1% of your stuff is good and the rest of it kind of tends to be, you know, pretty, pretty trash. It's just not great. And so that was certainly the case for us where we had to do heavy moderation. And I was just like, how are we going to get this to work? Like, you know, we need these sort of templates. We need these because these help with the activation rates a ton, but like to build out the sheer number we needed to have an impact it, it felt sort of like impossible. And so I actually just decided on my own, like independent of the rest of the team, I was like, I'm just going to start working on making it myself. Like kind of seems silly. See the companies like, you know, doing a bunch of like basically manual configurations of zaps, writing like little headlines and descriptions of all these zaps. And, you know, I'd probably make a hundred a week. And I did that for, you know, a few months. And I started to get the hang of it. I was like, okay, these are the ones that work. These are the ones that don't work. Um, Here's what we need more of. Here's the ones we need to prioritize. I really got a good feel for it. And so I started to think, okay, how can we scale this up? And I started to look for freelancers that could help us out. And we probably churned through maybe 50 freelancers, maybe 50 to 100 freelancers who helped make at least one of these. But in the end, it was two freelancers did the bulk of the work and one of them ended up making thousands of zap templates for us uh, across a summer, like probably did 10,000 zap templates for us in a few months. And to me, that just sort of like thinking back to it, that's like the example of where folks sort of say, you know, oh, that'll never scale or, you know, we, it'll never work. And I was like, you can probably make things scale just through brute force better than you think you can. Why is building this company, aside from your maybe love of entrepreneurship and technology and uh, and business, why is building this company or solving this problem, why is it so meaningful to you as an individual? You know, I, it, it really solves a problem for a lot of people. I, the thing that hit home to me is anytime we talk to customers and they share like a meaningful like what it meant to them. I still remember we got a, a public tweet, you know, it's been a few years back. Um, it was a dad and he was standing over his little girl with his arm around his, I assume, partner or wife or whatever. Um, and he tweets at us and says, hey, thanks, Zapper. Because of you all, I get to have more moments like this. And they were at Disney World. And it was just like, oh my God, that's awesome. Like this product saved this guy enough time, helped him generate enough money for his business that like he could go on a fun vacation with his family. Like that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. Like I just, it's like a dopamine hit. I can get, you can get a high off of those things. 
Other than the obvious financial benefits, why do we care so much about scaling in business in the first place? For those of us that are mission-driven, that really do care about the brand and why we exist for the customer, I think scaling is about taking that really good product and getting it to as many people as you can to help them. It might be the single source of truth that we need if we're going to build great brands. In this frenetic world of infinite choice, do you want to be a commodity or do you plan to build the exception? Exceptions is a Seeking Wisdom original, which is the podcast network from Drift. Drift is the leader in conversational marketing software, and they are spearheading the entire movement. So if you're interested in getting better every day and growing an exceptional brand yourself, the best place you can start is to search Seeking Wisdom in your podcast player of choice and subscribe for free. And thank you again to Drift for making this show possible. I've actually been interacting with a lot of Exceptions fans over DM, and I got a lot of questions about how we make this show. Turns out when you make things for other makers, they want what you made, but also how you made it. So I'm going to start giving away that knowledge. I thought I would start to answer some of these questions in a monthly email. So I'm going to start sending out some behind the scenes information and ideas and advice for making great shows. You can go to unthinkablemedia.com slash subscribe to get on the monthly list and I'll respond right away with my five most popular resources for making great podcasts. That's unthinkablemedia.com slash subscribe. Or if it's easier for you, just tweet me at jayakunzo and I'll add you to the list. All right, that's it for this episode, but we're back in another couple of weeks with the next episode of Exceptions. See ya.